This episode of Creating Magic Podcast very may well contain spoilers for the first episode, Aftermath, of The Bad Batch, the newest installment in the larger Star Wars franchise on Disney+. Plus. If you do not wish to be spoiled on the first episode, then perhaps be like Wrecker and blow this episode out of your feed and come back to it later. Today we are here with Steven. Star Wars, Star Wars, Star Wars. I'm hooked. I'm in. I'm hooked. I'm ready to go. Let's do this thing. I'm so excited. This is such like a turn of events from a year ago, and I love it. Absolutely. And we also have Russell returning to us. Hello. And yeah, I was just getting ready to say like the general tone from Steven, like compared to the last time I was on the podcast with this exact topic is just wildly different. And I'm here for it. Well, because like I'm not really here for like I'm not here for Harrison Ford prancing around in like boots and like tight pants or whatever. Like I don't really care about like that like artistic side, so to speak, like of of the Star Wars franchise. But as I think I've mentioned before on the podcast, I love all of like the canonical consistency or inconsistency. I love filling in gaps and transitioning between series and when now you have bad batch and clone wars obviously the element of animation to not so like i'm here for all that like sign me up i mean this this has been a great year to be a star wars fan right like just just generally a fan of space opera you know silliness in general yeah you picked the right year to buckle down and finally like just dive in because I think if you hadn't have done it this year and knowing all the stuff coming out, you would have probably been overwhelmed and been like, no, thanks. That's where I'm at with Marvel. I have no desire to start the Marvel Cinematic Universe or whatever, because to me, it just there's like too many of them. And I know like every third one, they get together for a big badass movie. And like it just it's overwhelming. So but we're, we're not here to hear my opinions on Marvel. We're here to talk about Star Wars, specifically the Bad Batch. So, Russell, if I'm remembering correctly and you know, odds are I'm not. I feel like I mentioned Clone Wars on a podcast with you and you had a very strong, if not vocal, at least facial reaction. And I don't remember if it was positive or negative. So I'll just tee you up. What are your thoughts on the Clone Wars movie slash series writ large? I think the Clone Wars series uh, has some really great moments that are worth going and watching like individual episodes of like, I have a list somewhere of like clone wars episodes. If someone goes, I really don't like, do I need to watch all like seven series seasons or whatever of clone wars? And I go, no friend, here's this Google sheet that I have maintained. That is like 19 episodes that you can watch and get all of the things that actually matter. Um, Because the, the clone wars, I'm not tremendously attached to the animation style. Uh, I, I, I can take it or leave it. It's fine. It's I, I enjoy the animation style that we saw in Rebels a lot more. Um, uh, but I, you know, I wasn't a huge fan of the animation style. And the story does a really great job of if you are a huge fan of just every possible tiny detail of things Star Wars. This does a really good job of, of you know, kind of interlinking all of these things. But if you really just want amazing fight scenes with uh, Ahsoka Tano and Darth Maul and, you know, all of these other characters, you really don't need to watch all of it to get most of the plot points. So. I will also say, and seeing as you brought her up, I wasn't really going to try to veer down this path on this podcast. Cause I feel like it's going to be a hot take that no one's going to like, but 
if I had seen late seasons Ahsoka and only late seasons Ahsoka, I'd be like, yeah, sure. Sign me up. Great. She's awesome. But because I had to go with like seasons one through four, where not only is she just like a whiny child, which she is fair enough. Children are going to be whiny children. That's how they are. Um, I mean, so was Anakin at the beginning of Clone Wars. Like they they both sucked. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They, they do both suck. But the thing that stands out for Ahsoka is like, she would just every single time make the wrong choice. And I get that's part of the arc and that's how you learn and all that. But I just, I didn't need to see it. So your point about like, you could pick the best moments if I could just get rid of like 75% of what I saw from her in, in the clone wars and just give me like the good stuff. Sure. Um, that gives me hope. So disclaimer, I have not watched the bad batch rebels or clone. Wow. Or- so you're the least informed. Star I am. Wars it's crazy. I have started the clone wars and I know how much people love her. And I was so confused and like, what what's going on Ahsoka doesn't get enjoyable until like season three good to know Uh, and 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 after that it's much better and to your point one of the reasons I haven't watched it is the animation style is not my style and I really struggle with it yeah it's it's tough sometimes especially uh you know it it, it's just it's not my thing but I I see there are people who really really like it and I'm just not one of them I don't I've been in this particular fight before and I just (laughs) it's just not my thing and I tend to leave it at that so for context, for any of pe- the people listening, and I suppose for Danny, who might not know this, the Bad Batch is a group of modified clones, Clone Force 99, um, that were introduced in the final season of Clone Wars, which aired in 2020. Just throw some more numbers at you here to confuse you a little bit. Um, and they had like a four episode arc that was very much a backdoor pilot at the end of the Clone Wars. Um Sure enough, here they are with their own series created by Dave Filoni, developed by Dave Filoni and Jennifer Corbett. Uh, I believe Brad Rao is involved. Um, so like kind of that core crew of this, you know, post Disney, you know, post Lucas uh, Star Wars brain trust is involved in creating this. And um yeah, the, the the clones, every clone uh, for that matter, is voiced by D. Bradley Baker. Um, he of, in my mind, SpongeBob fame, but I suppose more aptly of Clone Wars fame. Um, yeah, I guess I will start there. Um, I don't really have a question so much as I was reading through the first three lines of my notes, which I so proudly took. <laughs> Well, you mentioned a bunch of the voice actors who did a really good job. I want to start off with the the one voice actor that I deeply, deeply struggled with in this first episode, and that is the young child, uh, Caleb. Yeah. Who, that, <laughs> at every moment that he is delivering lines, sounds like a 35-year-old man, but is visually very clearly a nine-year-old. Well, how old is Freddie Prince Jr.? Yeah, I know. That's, that's correct. But, but, like, they did nothing to try and make him sound younger. Like, they were, he just... He's gravelly, and and I didn't actually realize that Freddie Jr. sounded that old. Uh, like I had to go and look it up, and was very surprised that it was him because I guess I guess I just remember him from his heyday, and and he definitely didn't sound like that then. Okay, well then here's here, trivia, or not trivia, so much as I don't even know what this would be. What do you most associate with a Freddie Prince Jr.? What movie, television show, etc.? Oh gosh, I don't know the the. I mean, stuff from the 90s. Danny? 
Um, well, I just looked him up to find his age. Which so uh, he is 45. Is that older or younger than you? Wow. What do you, what, what movie or what, you know, entertainment source do you most associate with Freddie Prince Jr., Danny? Um, so I remember She's All That, which was a 1999 yeah. rom com. But there's other things I'm like, oh, he did a voice in Kim Possible, which I loved. See, I remember him from that super bizarre um, live action Scooby Doo. That I completely forgot he was in that. Yeah, yeah like because like because I must have been. I don't remember when they came out. Let's call it two thousand two. That sounds about right. Um, I I would have been seven, eight years old, right around then. You're right on the mark for the year. Oh, really? Good for yeah, me. Yeah, it's two thousand two. Uh, that's not one of my notes. That's just me trying to remember. What, but like, point is, as an eight year old child, love Scooby Doo was all about it. So like that movie is very much defining, is definitive for me with him. Uh, and that really bizarre uh, Scooby, which again, oof. Um, well, no one cares about Fred, but Shaggy's casting was great in that. And continued to be great for a really long time. Wait, who was Shaggy in that? Um, who played Shaggy? Matthew Lillard. Matthew Lillard continued to be the voice of Shaggy after that movie up until the most recent Scooby-Doo movie that came out this past year. And in fact, he discovered that the movie was happening at the same time that everyone else did. And and his fans were really upset that he wasn't voicing Shaggy. Like it was this whole thing. Yeah. Look, not that I have any strong opinions about him in any way, shape or form, but just from the standpoint of someone who had been like a institution as part of this franchise for so long. Yeah. Rightfully so. Um, but speaking of voice actors, I also I want to talk really quickly about one of the core elements of Clone Wars and the Bad Batch, which is like the the weekend cartoon kind of narrator, right? Which is like it's very serialized. Every episode pans in and there's this like super cronkity narrator saying, This week, Ahsoka Tano, and it's like it's like a recap of what you've seen, what you're about to see. Um, I really like like the sit, like not the symbolism, but like the thematic of that, because it takes me back to being a kid watching cartoons on the weekend. But the trivia for you all is: Do you know who the narrator is, and where you've probably heard his voice before? Not at all, Danny. Well, you haven't seen it, so you wouldn't know. Uh, Tom Kane is the man's name. Um, he, since 2012, has been the voice of the Walt Disney World monorail. Wow. Okay. Nice. Um, so I will cross that off my little notes. He's so proud of himself. Um, speaking about the show itself, one of the things I first loved um, about this episode, Aftermath, and this is where I guess we finally are getting into some spoiler stuff. So I don't, it's not going to be, look, it's not going to be too spoilery in the sense that the show's called Aftermath. I think we just talked about when we hit record earlier about how it takes place right after um, Order 66. Order 66. So, like, we're not spoiling too much here. It's it's stuff that's already been covered in the realm of, of the Star Wars canon. So, you know, take that for what you will. I really loved the title card with the Clone Wars logo kind of being burned away, melted away, and the Bad Batch mm-hmm. came up. That was cool. That was badass. And then the very first thing I loved was when the Bad Batch is being introduced in their scene on the snow of that of that planet and the, you know, the, the clones are fighting the droids and you've got uh, Jedi master Balaba and, you know, Padawan Caleb and 
and the snow is coming down and it's like, well, what are they doing? Is what's going on? And the bad bash just roars out and starts kicking ass just the way you remember it from the end of the clone wars. And that was super cool. And I love that. But then I remembered the second the fighting got done. Oh yeah. This starts at a really sad point in the entire history. This is not going in a good direction. And that like just hairpin turn from like 100 back down to zero was like a really strong evocative start to this entire series. It was really good. And and it did a pretty good job covering up uh, that, uh, uh, that we had already, this is uh, that scene is also kind of a retcon of uh, what we had already known about uh, Caleb and Balaba uh, and how they were impacted by order 66, because that's something from rebels um, because I, I guess we should just go ahead and ruin this now. Um, Caleb runs away and escapes and becomes the character that we know much later as Kanan Jarrus, uh, who is the, the Jedi who teaches uh, our, our main character in Rebels. Um, and the fact that he got away during Order 66 is like a big deal. Um, and it spawned its own like comic series that was called Kanan and and like a, a whole bunch of stuff because a lot of like when Rebels came out, there were people who were just scrambling for any kind of any scrap of information in addition to these characters. So they spun up a bunch of, you know, kind of spin-off comics and stuff. And and this origin was part of that. Uh, and and Disney has kind of tweaked that a little bit for for the opening of this. I was reading about that today, about how they landed on uh Jedi Balaba and Caleb being the duo, and I forget who it was. It was either you know Dave Filoni or Jennifer Corbett, one you know one of the the leading people over at at Lucasfilm. And they said you know we were trying to figure out which Jedi Padawan combo made the most sense. Mm-hmm. And even though we knew we were doubling back over the canon from Rebels from the comic series, they seemed to fit based on just where they were in their training, where they were just it. It seemed to be the the least disruptive pairing for for the moment. Um, from the jump of this episode, actually, let me rephrase this question. Up until the point where they explained at the end of the episode, crosshairs um, inhibitor semi malfunction. Did you understand crosshairs motivations for the entirety of the episode? I thought so. Yeah. I mean, the, the whole deal was, he, he repeats it often enough. Uh, you know, a, a soldier follows orders, uh, you know, like that, that, you know, kind of core tenant to his personality gets, gets repeated enough that by the time, you know, the, the big reveal at the end of the ep- episode happens, like you, you kind of could see the direction that it was going the whole time. Well, where I got confused, fair enough, where I got confused was I thought, it was much more of a binary that that inhibitor, right? Either you had it and it worked, or it didn't, like, right? And yeah. so when he's like, when he's shooting after Caleb, and he's like, a good soldier follows orders. Well, then he goes back to like hanging out with the Bad Batch, and he's acting normal again. It's like, oh well, which like it, it was this weird kind of gray area where he was like half in, half out, and then at the end, once they amp up and they 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 amplify his inhibitor chip, then he's fully in. But yes. I, the whole episode, I was like, well, at one point he's like, you know, about to start shooting at Hunter, and he's like not like he's very much following Order sixty six, 
And then as the episode progresses, he's kind of like, oh, well, he's hanging out with the group again. He's like part of the training simulation. It, it, that felt odd to me the whole time. That was the one of like one of two things I think I bumped up against the entire time. Yeah, they try to explain it a little bit, uh, you know, like you know the how he reacted as strongly as he did in the beginning. They they tried to give it an explanation. You know, our our lovely alien caretakers um, will you know try to give it this kind of hand wavy because science explanation. But this is not the first time that things got blurry when it came to Order sixty six. When Rex and Ahsoka are fighting uh, during Order sixty six, like there is. They spend a lot of time in that scene where Rex receives that order and and knows that he can't really fight it, but like struggles with it externally for for multiple seconds and and you know uh, and tries to find a way around it. So, like it's it is interesting that for most you know ninety nine point nine 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 percent of stormtroopers, Order sixty six was just a, a switch flipped and and you get all murdery and extra aggressive and stuff, but for for a handful. Uh, you know, it, it was more complicated than that. And they tried to explain it in a different way in this, but the, I really felt like the the Clone Wars explanation with Rex made a lot more sense, uh, you know, where he had developed this attachment and and knew that it was wrong. And, and, you know, like that, you know, his crosshairs experience with his team was kind of overriding, you know, that, that team relationship was overriding. Uh, I felt like that would have been a more powerful explanation, but. Well, yeah, because it, it inherently um, uh, brings more humanity to the clones, right? Right, as opposed to saying it's some malfunction in their, you know, uh, you know, machine created genetic coding. Um, yeah, Danny, any thoughts on this that you didn't watch because you didn't do your homework for this episode? <laughs> Your your direct text to me like yesterday was well looks like I'm watching Star Wars, and here we are. Oh, I got confused at the beginning, and I was like, oh, I guess I have to go back and watch this other thing because I believe that I needed to watch Clone Wars first, so I decided to start at the beginning rather than just be confused. Which I respect that. I appreciate it. Usually I'm very much here for it for the sake of me coming off as the responsible co-host of the two. Um, I'm not so sure that that was great, but it's fine. It's fine. It's totally fine. Um, one of the things I also wanted to talk about that I really appreciated was they used archived audio for, uh, so one scene kind of, if we're following a general progression, I know we've jumped around a little bit, but after um after the Bad Batch returns back from um, the Caleb Balabasine and they're back on Camino, uh, there's this big, it's like a Nuremberg-esque rally, let's just call it what it is. Uh, like this big, you know, clone clone army meeting happening where you hear the, the Palpatine Ascension speech. And I'm really thankful that they used the archival audio of Ian McDermott from mm-hmm. from the movie as opposed to getting Tim Curry to come back and do it. Because no shots at Tim Curry, who I think of as the concierge guy, the, the bellhop guy from Home Alone and not anything else he possibly has ever done. Um, but like he, when, when I heard him as Palpatine in, in some of the later seasons, I was like, oh, what? Why? Why? It's, it's not 
it's yeah. one of those things where once you have the voice of Tim Curry in your head, he's only ever Tim Curry. And so it's really hard for, for him to be someone else. He's just that iconic of voice. It's it's just impossible to hear anything else. I I think it struck me how, how little that scene impacted me. Like I knew where it was from. I was really happy that they used the archived audio and I was like, okay, so like this scene is cool. It's almost over. I think it spoke to how great the scene in uh, our, our our most recent trilogy where they're like, where the, the dude, the redhead gets up on stage and screams about the last days of the Republic. Like just how much more vitriolic and, and impactful that scene was before Starkiller base fires for the first time that that scene now is less kind of dark and, and ominous to me. Like they, they did such a good job with that, that when I reheard that scene, I was like, man, that scene just doesn't bite like it used to. Like it, <laughs> and I thought that was really interesting. Danny, any thoughts? Are you going to do this the whole time? I might. Um, <laughs> I might. Um, so then we are introduced to, um, New character, at least for me, I don't know if this character appears at any other point in various Star Wars canonical uh, properties, but uh, Omega, who is this small uh, child. Uh, look, at, at this point, I don't know who's what age in Star Wars, because to your point, Caleb. Well, it's, it's also impossible to know because clones. We, well, we've awesome. had some clones that age uh, up to adulthood uh, on purpose in order to form the army, um, whereas in both the movie and this series, we have come across roomfuls of clones that were still children or youngly age. Uh, and, and it's, it's never been clear if every single clone, uh, you know, kind of ramps up in age for all we know, the next time we see Omega, she might be 13. Um, like, you know, they, they could decide to go that route with her. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's impossible to know. So like trying to guess their ages when they're clones is just a, a mistake. So here's my question, which is I bumped up immediately when I heard it, when the the Kaminoan leader, the doctor, whoever it was, said, like, five, there's only five clones remaining or five of these modified clones remaining. I caught that, right? Because uh, Echo, one of the Bad Batch, is not a modified clone um, in the sense that they're talking about. Echo's was fucked up because of the, the tech union's hostage situation at the end of the Clone Wars. So I knew that Omega was a clone at that point. But my question is, and I'm sure this will be revealed at some point. Do we have any idea why Omega exists? I think it's fine. Um, okay. Because um, I get because nothing I have seen from Camino in the 15 and a half times we've been there over the past you know, couple franchises has led me to believe that the Kaminoans are like, like sentimental towards the clones beyond their utility as warriors. Um, so I have no idea why Omega exists beyond to service this plot, but um, excited to see where it goes, I suppose. So the question is, does Russell think it's fine because he knows more information or is it just actually fine? 
That's like there's another pod. There's a Game of Thrones podcast I used to listen to back in the day where they had a spoiler and then a spoiler free sections of their episode. And in the spoiler free sections, whenever the co-host who was not who had never read the books would bring up a point, the one who had read the books would say, well, that's mildly interesting. And that was his way of just never admitting to anything um, beyond what he was allowed to reveal at the time. Shouts to Jim and Aaron from Bald Move. Danny, let's tag them. They're good people. Um, we get Tarkin. Tarkin shows up, which Tarkin. I don't know if it's the haircut. I don't know if it's the way he keeps his shoulders back. I don't know what it is. He instills a lot of fear in me. Um, big time. And so he shows up and he, and he decides to put all these clones apparently through their tests, through their paces. Cause he, for whatever reason, which I'm sure has been explained in some other star Wars canonical sourcing, um, the empire no longer wants to pay for clones and they decide that human conscripts will be a better option. Um, so the bad batch goes, uh, there's a food fight and that's where you kind of see again that Omega has some special powers um, beyond what a reg would have. So uh, that happens, whatever. Um, so then the bad batch goes through a simulation, which brought back to me strong Ender's game vibes Um and they're going through the thing and Tarkin's like, nah, this isn't enough. Let's, let's bring in live ammo. And my question here is why would they even have a setting in the training simulator that allows for live ammo? They probably didn't. They, it wasn't the same training bots that got uploaded. It was uh, the, like when they brought them up, they were, they were like attack droids. But like, why? If I would like, if, if I said to you, Russell, Bring in the live attack droids. You'd probably be like, okay, but you have to give me an hour to go get them and bring them in. But they're just right there ready to go, like a couple clicks of the button. So like it to me. Yeah, I mean, a lot of that is just kind of hand wavy Star Wars stuff. You're you're not wrong. It's you know, they they there's no reason for them to have uh you know, you know, firing droids on standby aside from this entire facility was designed for making war machines and and you know, they happen to be the war machines next door. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the big thing there is, uh, Tarkin was really hoping that they would all die there anyway, because Tarkin doesn't like clones. It's not even so much that Tarkin doesn't like clones. Tarkin doesn't like relying on these aliens, uh, you know, re- relying on them for, for anything at all was a mistake. They, they could at any point install a backdoor and, and, you know, kind of usurp everything that goes on there. It's, it's part of this, uh, Tarkin plays everything close to the tre- the chest. He always wants to have a controlling hand on every single thing. Um, you see this through a lot of his character, not just through the, uh, you know, the, the core movies and the series that he's in, but also, uh, if you've ever read any of the Thrawn books, uh, he plays a huge part in, in a lot of the Thrawn books and demonstrates a lot of those character, uh, characteristics. And, you know, it also doesn't help what you also get from the Thrawn books is that everyone in the empire aside from Thrawn is deeply, deeply, deeply specious. They, they, there's a reason that the empire is only human, uh, with with exception to the most evil bastard in the world, uh, in the universe rather, which is great, you know, Grand Admiral Thawne. Um, and also, you know, we're at a point in the series here with Bad Batch where Tarkin is still climbing the ranks. Uh, he is still introduced here as Admiral, uh, which means that he has not yet earned the rank of Grand Moff. Uh, so, so he's still, you know, kind of doing whatever he can to please this new emperor and, and kind of climb the ranks. So this happens a couple times in this episode. And I, uh, again, other than servicing the plot, I don't have an answer. 
if he wants to get rid of the clones, why doesn't he just kill the clones? Like either here when he's like, hopefully they're just going to die in the live training thing. Or later on when they come back from Onderon and he's like, send them to the brig. Why isn't he just like, hey, fuck them. Just, just everything is a head game for for Tarkin. He never pulls the trigger. Like that's that is just you know he either engineers a situation where you destroy yourself, or he uh, he gives you an impossible scenario to go through, or he just strips you of all of your rank and title and, and moves on. And he was going to do that initially, uh, and then you know the 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 lovely tall aliens uh, said, you know, hey, give us a chance, and so he decided to turn it into a game. Um, and and the game had an unintended you know consequence, but he always will decide to screw with you until you blow yourself up before pulling out a gun and shooting you himself. That's just it, he's one hundred percent his character. Danny, I think I'm gonna pull a Tarkin and strip you of your rank and title here on the podcast. <laughs> I was literally like just thinking, I'm like. Well, that's how Steven would go into battle. He wouldn't just kill everyone. He would play mind games. Which is funny to me, because my favorite of the Bad Batchers is Wrecker, by a long shot. Um, not necessarily because of his capabilities. Like, if you're going by capability, uh, feels, well, I, I guess Hunter. But if we're talking about just their presence on screen, Wrecker is just... He's the audience's avatar and he's entertaining. He's, he's fun. And he is very much a, like, what do you mean? We can't solve this by punching it. Like, it's just, it's just entertaining. Or like when they get back from Onderon, or no, not no, before that, when they, when they land uh, at, in the, in the first sequence and the shock troopers telling them that the war is over and the, the dead Jedi is being shuttled by for reasons passing my understanding. I don't get why they don't dispose of the body there. It's whatever. Um, and um, Tech is like, I told you that was going to happen. And Wrecker goes, yeah, you did say that was going to happen. Yeah. It just, he's so funny. Um, and again, shouts to D. Bradley Baker for being able to modulate his voice enough to distinguish and differentiate like meaningfully between these five main characters. It's also that, that scene where the, the Jedi gets pushed by and there's a, there's a kind of cloak over him. Uh, it, it's not super clear who that is. Um, there was some well, speculation that that was uh, Jedi Master Shakti um, because the lightsaber looked very, very similar to Shakti's lightsaber. But Shakti died on Coruscant, which is very, very, very far from where that base was. Um, so it, there might be something else that's happening later where we find out that, you know, the all of the bodies after Order 66 were, were gathered up for some other thing. And that might be what that was kind of hinting at for later in the series. Um, or it could have just been, you know, a, a Jedi that we don't know about. But it's it's really they they spent a lot of time in that scene making sure that you knew that it was a Jedi, and I feel like that had to have been for a reason. They did they did labor on that. Um, no, wait, now because I didn't take notes on this, I should have because I was thinking about this. But failure. Uh, oh, is is Jedi Shakti the one that we saw on Camino for the better part of the Clone Wars? Like the one that convinces fives that it's going to be okay and all of that. I'm trying to remember. Because um, my assumption was that Jedi that we saw on the gurney was the Jedi that I saw on Kamino at the end of Clone Wars. Yeah, so Shakti was was on Kamino. Um, Shakti is the one who looks like Ahsoka. And so there's Shakti. And then who, why am I also remembering the Egyptian looking one? The one that looks like a, like a Pharaoh-esque type visage. 
Um, okay. Yeah, I think I know what you're talking about, but I don't remember their name. Fair enough. Um, anywho, okay, fair enough. Um, Maybe it's uh, Monday, Kiati Monday. That sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that will be interesting to see. I swear, if they try to, I'm not sure what you were hinting at with that, but if they try to to tie a parallel and try to tie off all these Jedi, dead Jedi being part of the life force that helps Palpy survive on that whole stupid sequel plot. I will lose my mind. Yeah. I, I'm not sure where they're going with it, but it's, it's definitely they spent enough time rolling that person by that. It, it couldn't have been for nothing. Yeah. Um, um, but speaking of characters from prior series that we meet uh, coming up next, we met Saw Gerrera in, in Bad Batch. Real um, young Saw Gerrera too. Like, like before the chest suit, you know, keeping him alive and, and all that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Which is great because that means that now in the Star Wars universe uh, combined, we have three different uh, animated or or, or staged um, uh, age progressions for him uh, because Saw Gerrera, before he gets like deranged, um, is also uh, in Jedi Fallen Order, the, the PlayStation game. Uh, where he's uh, he's helping rebels uh, free Wookiees on Kashyyyk um, when you you go and, and meet him. So it's it's interesting that we now have three different age progressions for this relatively minor character from Rogue One. <laughs> well, so and that's just it, right? Like, this can't just be like a one-off cameo for Episode One, right? Like we have to get more of Saw Gerrera and Onderon moving forward. Maybe I mean we know that there's a ton of stuff. Uh, that goes into this season. We, you know, it, it stands to to reason that we're going to run into Rex at some point. Um, we know that uh, Ming Na Wen uh, did voice Fennec. acting for this, so we're probably going to see Fennec Shand uh, come back in some form. So I, I actually, this gets weird to kind of the end of the episode, but I kind of think that Fennec Shand is where they're heading at the the end of this episode. Um, cause they're down a sniper. So when they were like, we're going to go see a friend in this area, I was like, oh, you guys are down a sniper. And we know that uh, Fennec Shand is in this. Uh, so maybe that's where they're going. Um, cause yeah, like the timeline for this gets kind of funny because Rex, we know Rex is going to show up at some point, but Rex doesn't, Rex isn't safe to be around again until Ahsoka helps him remove the inhibitor chip from the back of his head in Clone Wars. And this is, if I'm guessing still only like a couple of days after order 66. So we probably don't see Rex until later in the series. Oh huh. yeah. Look, so, so speaking of the inhibitor chip, right? So there's this whole thing that happens on Onderon. They're sent out there to kill what they thought were droids. Turns out it's, it's Saw Gerrera and the rebels. Um, they're all like, no, we're not going to do it. Crosshair is like, ah, oh, well, we probably should do it guys. Uh, and anywho, they come back to Camino to pick up Omega because Hunter's like, oh, I get what's going on here. We got to get the hell out of here. Um, of course, they're imprisoned, which, again, to my point, like this just you said it's this whole thing about Tarkin and Mind Game. But I think it's more plot because they said, you know what the, the the punishment is for treason. And he's like, send them to the brig. And I'm like, well, no, like, you know, we no, you saw them. We saw Brand <laughs> of Tarth lay out, you know, everyone else and try to kill them, you know, yeah. in. Yeah. So. That was odd, but whatever. They they get into prison. They uh, Tarkin pulls Crosshair out, bumps up his inhibitor chip, so he's fully, uh, basically a reg at that point, a reg with modified clones capabilities, because um, he's fully on board with the Emperor and all that good stuff. Um, they break out of the cell, and your classic who you know 
Saturday morning cartoon Scooby-Doo breakout. Yeah. Um, there's a gunfight. And then to your point, they escape. Um, and what I want to talk about about that is the ultimate Star Wars scene, which is Omega with the galaxy in her eyes. And, and that, that face of wonder and amusement as she looks out on this entire entire universe she's never seen before. And they hop into light, light speed and off they go. That was pretty powerful. That was a solid With help ending. from our our favorite lovely tall alien. Like yeah, that, so what, yeah. that was interesting. I forgot about that. I I clocked that and I didn't take uh, yes, that was interesting. Feels like feels like that's setting up for her to get got. Like at some point Tarkin's gonna be like, I know what you did, and then like she's gonna get her long ass neck chopped off. Um yeah. So here's a question then to wrap up the episode or to wrap up talking at the episode, which is beyond Fennec, which I agree. A, because we know Ming-Na Wen said she was coming back for it. So we know Fennec's in it, but beyond Fennec, who do you think are the most likely suspects for us to be reintroduced to in the coming episodes? Um, I think, Fennec Shand is a really good sh- uh, shout, like kind of an obvious one. Um, we know that Rex is coming back uh, at some point. So I feel like Rex is, is probably soon ish um, just because this, this show is so far very much about getting people who were a fan of Clone Wars to kind of jump up and down in their seats. Uh, so, you know, little Easter eggs like that are, are going to be um, super helpful. The area that they're going to um, even itself is an Easter egg. The, they're going to, they said they were going to sector J19, um, which is actually uh, an area from uh, both Clone Wars and Revenge of the Sith. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's, I don't know anybody else that, uh, that would be kind of the, the go-to for this it's it's hard to they, they either are going to give us a new character or they're going to lean on some some easter eggs from older stuff and um i'm leaning more towards the the latter half just because of what we saw in this episode can we put on our ultimate tin hats samuel l jackson has made super jokey offhand references in the past couple of years that mace windu is still alive and they're done mainly for effect and reaction. But ultimate tin hat. What if we see Mace Windu with whatever arms he's got reattached or, you know, metallic hook hands going on at some point here? What if that's his subtle reintroduction back into, into the galaxy? I mean, hopefully they give him better lines this time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. You know, I, I, it's, I, I wouldn't rule it out. I think it's something that would get a lot of people to, to kind of, you know, laugh and be excited. I doubt it'll ever be a serious character. Yeah. Um, but that there is an enormous amount of like, let's weave this into as many other things happening across the Star Wars universe as possible in this series. And it's, it's interesting. I'm, I'm really curious to see how far they push that. Well, and that feels, I mean, obviously it's, it's definitely in no small part, part of Disney's, you know, you know, you know, synergistic mindset, but a lot of it feels like that's, that seems to be what Dave Filoni likes doing, right? Is he likes taking characters and and not necessarily in an overly forced way, but in a way that you could at least make a, you know, make a logical A to B path in, 
you know, tie in stories, tie in, tie in arcs, right. Obviously in Mandalorian, you know, we got Ahsoka, um, who is his, you know, his pride and joy. Well, yeah, we got Ahsoka. We got the, um, our, uh, our lovely flying Mandalorians. Yeah. Uh, the death watch. Yeah. Um, we get, we, we didn't get, and a lot of people thought we were going to get Mandalorian Thrawn. A lot of people thought Thrawn was going to, I read that a bunch of different places. Thrawn got, Ahsoka mentions Thrawn. And so it was expected that that was going to happen. But now we know that Thrawn is going to be a part of the Ahsoka series. Um, cause she now know that she's now confirmed that he's alive and back. And so was going to hunt him down, uh, in an attempt, not so much to find him, but to find the other person who disappeared with him. Who would you guys like to see in this series? Even if like right now the realm of possibility doesn't seem possible. Who, who would you like to make an appearance? Well, we've already talked about him a lot, but Rex. Rex is a, one of the things I loved the most about the Clone Wars was seeing Anakin as like a I fully realized might be a bit of a stretch, but like as a realized adult fighting Jedi, right? Not this petulant child that that's kind of running around sniffing after after Padme and whining to to Obi Wan that he doesn't right? like sand, right? Yeah, exactly. It's coarse. It, 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 Anakin in the Clone Wars is like, don't get me wrong, he still fucks up, but that's kind of part of his mo. But like, he's like a badass, and watching him do it with you know, with Rex at his side, right? Watching the way, you know, like watching the way that the clone hierarchy had like personality and they interacted and engaged in like a very, as Russell said earlier, like in a, in a way that showed they genuinely cared about their, about their generals was super fucking cool. Um, And at the end of the clone wars, when we got to see Rex again, um, like that was, um, that was really cool. So I, I, I am excited for that. That's probably my number one. I think it would be very cool if Darth Maul showed back up as a spider or as a man. <laughs> uh, I think it would have to be as a spider. Cause it's, it's uh post order 66. Yeah, that was, that was so weird. That, that whole, that whole arc with the, the, the Dathomir ladies, the yeah. witches or whatever. That one took me, I had to concentrate on that to figure out what the hell was going on. Ugh. And then they have like the blood sacrifice towards the end like for, with uh, uh, Misa with Jar Jar's lover. And it's, it's a whole thing. It's very confusing. It gets real dark. And that's why when you were like, man, I hope they don't take all these dead Jedi and strap them to Palpatine. I was like, mm, well, I mean, maybe. <laughs> yeah, that's a great point. Um It'd be cool to see Jar Jar for that matter, only because I love the reaction Jar Jar gets in in the family. Oh, it's just unanimous hatred. Yeah. yeah, and I love it. I absolutely love it. And I love doing the Jar Jar voice. I love trying to interpret what the hell he's saying. I love the couple times he very low-key but high-key admits that he fucked What's-Her-Face, the, the, the blood-sacrificed one. It's like a whole thing. It's great. It's great. Um, one thing, if I can transition from the funny into the serious, uh, that I actually read on the day of recording, and actually this article was dropped maybe like an hour before we hit record on Gizmodo on io9. 
Um, James Whitbrook is, I'm assuming, a critic, author, tech guy, um, who wrote this article, Why Star Wars Fans Are Concerned About the Bad Batch and Whitewashing. And the title kind of tells you all you need to know. There's a fair amount of proof points you can point to throughout Bad Batch where it appears they have altered a lot of the skin tone and uh, physical qualities of the clones away from Tamira Morrison, who is um, uh, Jango Fett, um, Boba Fett now, I suppose, as an adult in Mandalorian, but away from Tamira Morrison, who is the model for all the clones. Uh, and, And given everything else that's happened in Star Wars in recent years with portrayals of... Diverse characters feels like it's worth mentioning, right? Yeah, I mean, three of the five of the Bad Batch very clearly look nothing at all like a reg, and Uh, you know, and then you have Omega, who's like a Malfoy child, who is yeah, very much uh, you know, blonde hair, blue eyes. Um, You know, Wrecker gets a pass because he looks like Dave Batista, and. and our uh, our data, you know, our, our half robot gets a pass because all the blood has been. Yeah, Echo's like, and, yeah, Echo doesn't have any. Yeah, human Echo's just kind of a, a weird albino version of. Uh, but yeah, Hunter, um, it's a weird look for all of these other clones to look like that, and for Hunter to look like twenty five year old Sylvester Stallone, like that's that's a weird choice. Um, tech with tech with his like Steven S haircut, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's yeah. Tech's haircut is very weird. Uh, you know, crosshair is I, crosshair looks unusual, but it's hard to tell if it's just like battle damage or or if he just you know, uh, or if he just looks that way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, we it's it's weird. It's it's very very strange the the aesthetic choices they went for for four of those characters uh, when you know we definitely know what the base genetic material is there, and they definitely don't resemble dad. Like that's. And for what it's for what it's worth, that this this piece that I read said, whether it's sourcing or I don't know what it is, that must be sourcing because I don't think Lucasfilm said anything officially about it. But he reported that apparently, like Lucasfilm has been taking this to heart, and they did some last minute like color editing around because obviously Camino is super sterilized and bright and white, so that could also impact kind of the pigmentation. Um, but apparently, they're doing something to potentially address this in some last minute, you know, edits for future episodes. So the next time we go to watch episode one of this series, none of these characters will look like that. Anymore. Yeah. Like yeah. That's, fair. that's we're going to, there, there's going to be a software update to the bad batch and all this stuff is going to, is going to get, um, and it's actually kind of funny how many times Disney has done that in its own, like within its streaming service. Um, go watch a DVD release of Lilo and Stitch and then go and watch the Disney Plus version of Lilo oh, and Stitch. No. They are not the same. Uh, the uh, uh, Danny, I'm sure that you know the scene where Lilo climbs into the dryer to, to get to hide from Nani and Nani climbs down and, and like shuts her in the dryer and, and, you know, or like bangs on the dryer so that she comes out. Um, that's not in the Disney plus movie, go and watch it. She climbs into a cardboard box. She does not climb into the dryer because parents were like climbing into the dryer is dangerous. No kids should do that. Uh, and so like, it's, it's actually the animation is completely changed. It is a cardboard box with pillows that she climbs into instead of the dryer. I'm going to have, so I have it on VHS, like, 
Lilo and Stitch is one of my favorite movies. I'm, I'm telling Wait. you, go watch it on Disney Plus. It's not. It's not the same scene. Do you have a VHS machine? Plus version. Yeah. Wait, you had, wait, so you not only do you have the VHS like like things, but you have the actual machine to play them with? Yeah. In 2021? I there's a reason I have a VCR. A VCR, that's what it's called. It's a VCR. Um when I was in no, it's still when you were in when you were in college, you went to go see the black and white silent pictures at Thomas no. Edison's theater in in uh Menlo Park, New Jersey. False. When I was in college, I was taking a film course and and they said, What is film? Let me tell you. See, it's this thing where pictures move and people talk. You will deserve the tasering that you get at some point. I just uh, just pointed out there. It's coming from many different directions at this point. Um, Danny, please continue. I was in a film class in college and they watched the film Monday nights, even though we had class during the day Monday. And then we discuss it during Wednesday class. But I had theater rehearsal every Monday night. So thankfully, my professor was a huge fan of the theater and loved sneaking into theater to see what was going on. So she offered to always bring me down the what she had. And a lot of them were VHS because they had not been transferred to DVD yet. So my mom bought me a VCR so I could watch it and still be able to pass class. This was when Netflix mailed you discs. Nice. But it works, so I never saw a reason to get rid of it. I also have like home videos on VHS and yeah. some old theater pieces I was in that it's it's not hooked up, but I do own it. It's pretty great. Yeah, you should you should go watch it on Disney Plus. Go to go like fast forward to that scene. It will surprise you. I'm going to now because like I know that movie uh-huh. like, in and out because it has been one of my favorite movies. Um yep. I have been compared to Lilo multiple times because I'm a little odd. And Pudge controls the weather. Pudge does control the weather. I don't think Steven's seen this movie. I haven't seen Lilo and Stitch in so damn long. Like easily, it's 2021. Like easily like a good 15-ish years. I have definitely watched it in at least the last year. I'm pretty sure that we watched it last week. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me at all either. Um, one other thing I wanted to mention, because well, I got to finish up my notes page here, is, and this is more due to my just lack of like longevity with the Star Wars canon than anything else, because like I didn't believe they were the same character. But during that final fight scene in the hangar, when they're trying to escape and crosshair confronts them when the doors open up and crosshair is walking out crosshair to me looked super like the inquisitor like super tall and rigid had the long gun on his side like looked like the the that weird orb lightsaber thing like i was like wait a minute did they make him the inquisitor i was like no i know it's not the same but it looked super similar well, and some of that has to do with the animation style here, uh, because every character that is done in black uh, armor immediately looks nicer and more menacing than the other characters. 
um, because it doesn't have the, the black armor is always uh, very kind of glossy and clean. Whereas all of the other armor sets look smudged and dirty and, and like, because of the animation style that's used there, like I, it, it actually kind of bothered me in this episode, all of the crimson guard, uh, their armor didn't look clean. Like it, it was like smudged red in places. And, and like, some of that is just like, it's this animation style. This animation style is very much, you know, uh, supposed to be this weird mix of CG and drawn like that. That's, that was the aesthetic choice. Um, but as a contrast, everyone who wears glossy black in this series has that look to them because they, they're much cleaner and, and by, by virtue of that more menacing looking than the other characters. But also please stop using this animation style. As someone who doesn't have a strong opinion on animation styles, I don't hate it. I mean, I feel like Steven, some of the stuff that you grew up with is more similar to this style than the animated things that Russell or I necessarily grew up with. And I might be wrong on that, but I remember this style very similar to things my brother liked and that I just wasn't a fan of. They're trying really hard to go for this, the, like the hand-drawn look without it actually being hand-drawn. And, and I can appreciate that in like stills. Someone shows me a still in this animation style. I'm like, oh, that's actually really cool. But like when it moves, for some reason, my brain just can't handle it. Hmm. Okay. Well, now I'm trying to it's, think of this. It's really weird. And, but, it, but it's also a fascinating contrast because I love the version of this that was used in uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Like that, that you know, faux drawn animation style for that was incredible. Oh, it's and amazing. When Sony open sourced that so that any design studio could use it, I thought we were going to see it a lot more. Uh, and, and it's only ever been used by one other thing. And that was what Sony just released on Netflix with uh, the Mitchell-verse... Uh, the the universe or whatever it was um which is also very good if you have not seen it i got nothing well i guess two things to put a coda on this conversation first of which is once the season has concluded whenever that might be i so very much hope russell you will join us again for a full season debrief on what the hell we just watched absolutely and secondly, and in my mind, perhaps more importantly, I will see you on June 3rd, bright and early in the streets of Manhattan. Yes, you will. 